Listeners, welcome. We have another episode on our Rock Doc season. I'm your co-host Rob, and joined as always by my uh, by my good friends Joe and Duff. Let's rock! I'm so excited for this one. Uh, I will not believe the hype. That uh, <laughs> just watch this movie, and that'll take care of it for you. <laughs> yes. So we we are talking about the documentary hype. Um, this is about grunge. This is about the rise and hype of it and specifically right. seattle grunge yes I very mean, specifically because you know technically grunge could be from anywhere but this is pacific northwest grunge like i i don't want to turn this into like a an attack i mean this lovingly but but rob's one of rob's favorite uh i i don't know how much of this is irony and how much of it's sincere but you you're one of your favorite bands from this era is famously like a grunge ripoff from england well, at least that's what the detractors would say. Yeah, I mean, I, I like Radiohead, though. <laughs> I, mean, I do. But obviously, I think you're talking about Bush. Yeah, although Radiohead, yeah, they they took some hits for that, too, with Creed. Yeah, I mean, so. Radiohead, Pablo Honey is absolutely the line from, from this genre to Pablo Honey is a very straight line. Uh, so I have, I have a little uh, a little game for us later on where I, I think we'll have some Bush talk. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm happy I, to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wish I would have known because I, I, I don't know that band as well as a lot of these other ones and I would have studied, but maybe it, it's better that I didn't. It, it does not matter. It okay. Matter. <laughs> I think, I think so. All right. So before we dive into hype and what it's about, um, Joe, let's get started here. What's your, what's your grunge story? Oh what man. Is, what is Joe? I think, I think you might have the most in-depth one of the three of us. Oh yeah. I mean, this is like. This was the transition from, like, just having to listen to whatever my parents put on. Like, this was, like, this was the music when I transitioned from, like, childhood to preteen. When -hmm. you start to, like, navigate and try to figure out who you are. And, uh, and this, this was, like, came, hit Southern California where I was living at the time at, like, that perfect moment when I was, I don't know, 11 or something. 10, 10, 11. You were, were you were you a preteen when you were in California still? Well, I lived there till I was twelve or thirteen. I oh, think. okay. So I we're 12. I think we're essentially talking about nineteen ninety one or two. Is yeah. really for the mainstream is really when this broke through. But yeah, and and you brought up such a great point two episodes ago about when I was talking about how it's so hard for me to figure out exactly like how old I was or when things came out, and this is like a great. You know, some of the bands featured in this documentary are great examples of that because 10 was out for a, a fairly long time before it really hit big, you know. And I, so it seemed to me like I was getting into Pearl Jam like right when they when that album came out. But it was probably I was probably first hearing it like nine months to a year after that album was released. Right. Yeah, it was about a year plus between release that album to when it um because like Jeremy was like the third song. single, and that's what really... Which is wild, because that's when I remember first uh, yeah, being G- exposed to Pearl Jam. Because one, I mean, it's a killer song. And two, the music video was... Uh, 
quite memorable for me. I don't know how well you guys remember that video. Oh, it played I, constantly. Yeah. This that is... and one other band's video, which I bet you guys can guess, a different Seattle band, uh, an infamous video, I would call it, was always on MTV. Uh, Jeremy and Black Hole Sun. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. There's Hole... quite a bit of difference between like Black Hole Sun was released. a year or two later. I think. Yeah, but, but yeah. they were like Jeremy's video was still seemed to be on at least as I remember it all the time. And the yeah. Black Hole Sun video is just like melted plastic, yeah. <laughs> pun intended, burnt into my brain. Yeah, yeah. for better or for worse. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, so you, so you, Joe, you would say that um, you were pretty early into listening to this stuff while yeah, it was happening. I, I, my friends at the time, like, really liked, loved Nirvana and loved Pearl Jam, and I probably heard Nevermind first through one of them. I, I doubt I, or I heard it on the radio, I don't know which, but, so I, I instantly, like, all, all, all those big bands out of Seattle, I, I really loved. Funnily enough, like, I don't, I don't know when Bush hit the States exactly but it's but i instinctively like did not like bush and i have no idea why because i couldn't have been aware of the backlash to them no i mean they, they're a little bit later they're like 95 is when bush they didn't even come okay. around until after kurt cobain had killed himself okay yeah, yeah. so i wasn't really sure on the timeline for them but uh but yeah allison chains Soundgarden, but but nirvana and pearl jam were were the two big big bands for me I, I i i probably like soundgarden hmm i really really liked soundgarden when i was a kid but i probably actually like and respect them more now interestingly enough but i, I have to admit you mentioned um allison chains and i you know we've got a long history of me confusing jerry lewis and jerry lewis and <laughs> jerry Kitt, john, Kitt, john goodman and john candy uh here's one from you guys and i I think I would struggle if you made me put their songs in boxes. Um, a man in the box. Alice in Chains <laughs> and Jane's Addiction. I have just combined into one. Band what? <laughs> at least that's very strange. I mean, at least I don't are... think they. I think they literally have nothing in common. I mean, well, they they're... have a lady's name doing something. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, they're, right. they're at least both alternative bands. Yeah. Um, True. But yeah, not not much in common beyond that. Like whenever I hear like I see Allison Chains, I'm like, oh, they're gonna do that cot stealing song. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to imagine Allison Chains covering that song, and I'm uh, really amused by it. So here's here's how you tell the difference. Does the song make you really sad? Then it's Allison Chains. Yeah, that's probably true. <laughs> I, I guess like I, I could go on and on, and and I'm I know I'm excited because I'll have plenty of time to talk about these bands that I, I I really loved and and still like a lot. But it just seemed like. And this documentary hints on it from like a local's perspective, but from someone who's living in uh, like San Diego County and was 10, I guess, or, or 11, maybe when I was first hearing this, it did seem like, like, and, and again, I know this is somewhat manufactured, but like something new had happened. And this was like, for me and, people my age and a little bit older like okay this was the thing that like people my age and, and kids are supposed to be listening to that seemed at least at the time to not have any firm connections to like the rock music my parents listened to or 
not that I had one like the rock music uh, like a much older brother would listen to like Guns N' Roses or something like that yeah you know? uh, and I don't I don't even think that's manufactured I think that's just true yeah uh, you know I, I, I think yeah there's a lot of like we're going to do it for the next hour is analyzing this era and what does it mean what matters and what doesn't but I firmly believe it matters and that like and that it did change things. It, it's it's listening to it a lot over the last week. You know, I, I still listen to these bands from time to time, but I've been listening to them a lot more. It seems like what was new about it was it was certainly way different than hard rock from the 80s, but it seemed like an interesting, like, menagerie and blending together of, like, metal and punk into something fairly new. But we'll come back to that when you yeah. when we get to later on in the genre or I later on more. our episode. More to kind of dig into that. Duff, what about you? You're you're you probably have the next best story here on this. Uh, it's really not anything remarkable. I would guess it's true for a lot of uh, middle class suburban white kids. I was mm-hmm. exposed to it through MTV, and my friends would talk about Nirvana, and I kind of absorbed it through that lens, and uh, so. The first cassette tape I ever bought was Michael Jackson Dangerous. Hmm. Um, and I, can, I, can, I, can I, I'm sorry, I don't know, MJ. Can you remind me of like what, when that came out and what the big singles were on it? So, I that, mean, it was, it was a, it was his last big album, but it yeah. wasn't nearly as big as the other stuff. So it's looked at as a failure, even yeah. though any it, other artist would die for the, it's yeah. still, <laughs> it still sold like 7 million copies or something. Was that black, like 88 or something? No, or? this is like 91. 91. So black, oh, okay. black or white is, Oh, okay. All right. Uh, jam <laughs> jam. Yeah. Heal the world. Yeah. Remember the time. So, and this is about when he did the super bowl halftime show then, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, now I got it. So that was the first tape I ever bought. And I don't, it was not soon after that, uh, Guys, I enrolled in the uh, the Columbia House Record Club. Oh, <laughs> Abraxas. <laughs> uh, and I rem- actually, actually, I don't remember if it was just me or if my mom joined. And she said, because you get like 10 tapes or 10 CDs for a penny. Um, and I think she allowed me to have three of them. Yeah, I think okay. that's what it was. And so I got three cassette tapes in the mail. Okay. Um, and they were Nevermind. Nice. Uh, REM automatic for the people. Nice. And the Beavis and Butthead experience. <laughs> Is that which, which featured Nirvana? Yeah, that had. Um, I hate myself and want to die. Yeah, that's a good song. I mean, I remember it, that, that that compilation album, and it, I remember it being pretty good. But I haven't thought about it I'm, since I mean, it came out. Probably it has. <laughs> I'm looking at the track list. It has uh, Anthrax doing "Looking Down the Barrel of a Gun" with rocks. <laughs> yeah. Um, it is a very bad Aerosmith song. <laughs> well, is there um, any other kind? It has a white zombie song called I Am Hell, uh, Sir Mix-A-Lot. Uh, there are chili Peppers doing a cover of the Stooges' Search and Destroy. Uh, Jackal. You guys remember Jackal? Yeah, I, I do not Jackal. remember Jackal. Hell ja- yeah. Jackal doing a song called Mental Masturbation. <laughs> Did so, Jackal sing She Loves My Cock? Let's say yes. <laughs> Are you aware of that song of the existence of that song, Rob? I've never heard of Jack all my life. Yes, Joe, you are right. Uh, so from there on, I, you know, I had in utero, and I had Super Unknown and Pearl Jam Ten. Uh, yeah, so I mean, my story is not too different from 
a, a million other white suburban kids. Yeah, same with I mean, yeah, it was just these were the biggest bands at the time and if you loved rock music. And and it's impossible for me to separate this from MTV cuz MTV yeah. was showing all these videos all the time. Rob, yeah, it's man, mine is so different because we didn't have MTV until I was older. Um so I sort of missed the whole thing. <laughs> I just sort of missed it. Like by the time I sort of started listening to more of the stuff and like i had mentioned before like metallica was the first band which probably would have been like middle school for me late middle school that i really liked it wasn't until high school and at that point we're talking like you know late 90s that i started like listening to the music from before so i never had like you know i knew everyone had dookie <laughs> yeah. by green day what and, a huge uh, album yeah. Oh and, my God. And like Tragic Kingdom, another one is one that people had. So but... by the time you were getting into grunge, everyone else in like our age range had probably moved on to new metal. Yeah, which I was also in. like I was like well, kind of like you know fire hosing all this stuff right yeah. with like uh, Oasis and Blur and Radiohead and and Smashing Pumpkins and like finally like digging into Nirvana and Soundgarden a little bit. Um, so, so I was like late on all of this. You're 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 jumping in when like grunge is just sort of like the battering ram that knocks open the door, and then it, it really morphs by what ninety four ninety five. It's just alternative. Ninety five for sure, I would say it's ninety five ninety six. Now you're talking live like Weezer, Bush, Alanis Morissette, being like the bands that are like carrying this on in a in a very very, you know. Uh, mainstream way yeah um so yeah much later so i never like i never had this like um rite of passage with these albums where you know like i remember when cobain died i remembered the people like the people with the t-shirts but like honestly from my viewpoint then i was like oh those are the weirdos well Um, you're not wrong (laughs) and uh and now looking back at it so weird all that is so weird but, um, yeah, so it's, 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 what do you mean that me. it's weird? Well, it's weird. I guess it's weird that like a guy who like one of the narratives about why he killed himself was because fame got to him. And then everyone bought t-shirts with his name and his face and his, uh, uh, begin date and end date and warm around. It's or like, weren't there shirts with a suicide letter on the back? Like there was just some weird monetization that people went into, for I didn't guy. remember the letter part of that. I mean, it's, that is creepy. It, it sounds about right. I mean, I'm sure. Oh yeah, tons I believe of it. Stuff. Uh, I mean, it, and like, listen, they were teenagers. With you know, I'm not like judging them. I'm just saying, look, looking back at it all now, it's 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 kind of really bizarre to think about. Hmm. Um, so yeah, it's it's always been sort of like, it, it's it, I've never really been able to listen to this with new ears, or like you know, it's just kind of. There was a point where, honestly, I remember a big part of it is, and I don't know if this is going to work out, but, like, whenever Rolling Stone made, like, they had, like, a best songs of all time or something, um, because I would get that magazine, and they had, like, an issue on that, and that was, like, a big thing for me, because as much as we wanted, like, you know, Ken and continue to dunk on Rolling Stone for their lists and stuff, like, it was big for me, because this is, like, around when Napster was just beginning to take off, and I would just, like 
download like 10 of those songs at night while I went to bed and then I'd go and listen <laughs> to them and be like, oh my God, I've never heard. Then your dad picked up the phone and ruined it. And it was like, I've never heard <laughs> Creep by Radiohead. <laughs> like It was just like crazy stuff like that because I just never, you know, it wasn't in my orbit at all. So. Yeah, we also had alternative radio stations in the Twin Cities. We had uh, we had one that was kind of uh, there was the Edge, which was alternative, uh, and then there was one called Rev One Hundred Five Revolution One Hundred Five. Yeah, so and, I, and we, we also would, had I also had that to to dwell on. For, and we would get those depending on if like the weather, because <laughs> it yeah. was a pretty long ways for it to go, and it's not like. You know, and I'm sure, and I know there was other, you know, peers of mine who had older brothers or cooler families that would listen to the stuff and they knew it. It just, for me, in my little, like, bubble, it just wasn't something that was a part of my teenage years, really, until later. Yeah. Um, so, we just mentioned a lot of great bands, and almost none of them are in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Some of them are. In some of parts, we have Eddie Vedder. And we have some Soundgarden. Yes. And some archival footage of Nirvana. Yes, which is awesome, by the way. I did. There is, there is like, it's the first time they played. Smells um, like Teen Spirit. Smells yeah. like Teen Spirit live. And it's like, that was awesome. I thought that was awesome to see on here. And I just thought, like, maybe it's because that song's just, like, ingrained in my brain. But, like, it just seems awesome the first time they played it. It's live. awesome. Just, it's awesome because a lot of times with bands will play some song that becomes iconic later on for the first time. It just kind of, everyone's like, oh, let's go get a beer or something. But all these dudes are just drunk out of their mind and going nuts to it. So, And it's it was, awesome. Like, I just think that's just, I mean, I feel like that song just instantly is great the first time you hear it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, this movie's interesting because it, it came out in 96. So, like, we're still, you know, as we talked about, this is you know kind of the like uh, hype stage you still of... have you still have pearl jam selling millions of albums yeah i mean you know cobain's dead but like this is still the dominant form of rock and roll or at least uh, you know maybe it's a post version of it but it's still, on it like... it's on its downward trajectory but i mean it's still like pearl jam is still really big i mean this is the pumpkins are still huge but the... yeah we yeah. might just have to skip ahead to the like what what is grunge thing because I I think by now like a lot of the bands that are like actually are grunge like Nirvana's gone and a lot of the other ones are are on their way out or their sound has evolved you know but like mm-hmm. like I don't think Smashing Pumpkins are I I just don't think they're they're grunge <laughs> well, yeah I and I, they, I I think there's a a discussion we can have on that but i think um regardless if quick, they are they're very they're in the same scene sure, yeah i mean that, that's what i was kind of saying earlier it's just sort of like broad like just rock is broadly dom- dominated broadly by alternative right yeah. which but i think I, is just a larger umbrella that includes grunge as well as maybe I don't but know. I mean, to put in perspective, this movie comes out the same year as Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness, I believe, yeah. which was a huge event. Like oh that, yeah, no doubt. I I just remember like that summer, like it was, Smashing Pumpkins were everywhere. But I guess I guess what I've been trying to say is like, does Melancholy does, does the music of Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness seem to have anything in common with the bands that are talked about in this movie? Well, some of it does. Some of it. I mean, I guess some of it. You're right. That, that's the thing about Melancholy is some of it's 
some of it's techno, some of it's grunge, some of it's orchestral. Well, just so just for anyone who hasn't seen Hype, essentially we're sort of we sort of get like an overview of um, kind of the you know we have the Seattle area. We've got it's raining all the time. It's like a big city, but not really like you know an epicenter culturally necessarily. And then you have all these, you know, this this collection of bands that are playing music that have this similar sound. Um, you have Sub Pop. The label starts there, and you know it kind of starts with like Green River and Mud Honey and uh, bands like that. And then eventually it you know starts to blow up really with. Um, Nirvana being the band that just obviously just meteoric rise explodes. I mean, so is Pearl Jam, quite honestly. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, and then though this is kind of like what's kind of strange about this movie is in my mind it's not far enough out to be a retrospective, and it's not early enough in it to be on the floor. So like it's kind of like run to Seattle in '95 and and like interview a bunch of bands that didn't make it talking about what the scene was like but it yeah. doesn't quite have the like you know there's still a lot there's you know there's still like five years later this entire genre is is turned into something totally different and or dead uh, but this just sort of looks at a lot of it is it's called hype so it's about how um this this music comes out and then the labels come in and then you sort of have like mainstream culture just grabbing a hold of this and fashion's based off of it you have movies in the grunge era you sort of have like it becomes like a more than music thing and almost like a you know a, a fad not a fad but like yeah, a, a cultural fashion thing at some point too yeah. and that's kind of i mean i don't know if i'm missing any like big things from the doc but that's kind of that's kind of you know the, you get so <laughs> you get a lot of focus on a lot of people who rightfully didn't become famous is what I'll say. <laughs> I, well, I will, I will say, I don't see some of this, the footage and be like, well, why didn't they make it? Yeah. But then again, I, I do think it also includes some, some bands, not necessarily maybe interviewing them, but, but a lot of them they're interviewed, like, like why? Sure. Some of them, you know, I agree with you, but then a band like mud honey, like, I don't really see any real reason why like Pearl Jam is going to be big or Nirvana is going to be big and Mud Honey isn't. I I think that they're they're a really really talented band. They they did stick around for a very long time and had a moderate amount of success. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't I wouldn't dismiss all of the all of the bands that are featured in sure, here. Sure, but we don't we don't see Mud Honey live on this. Uh, yeah, you do. Do we? Yeah. Oh, we do. We do. There is one. Yeah, you're right. And, and you're right. same with the, I would say the same thing with the Melvins, who continue to be a, a pretty suc- a very success- successful I've, touring band. You know, but I mean, I don't disagree with any of that. But I would say at least half of these bands are just like loser dudes that everyone went to high school with. <laughs> and there is there is a bit of that. I will I will admit, and that's what's sort of weird about it. Is which, there sort which of which I, I was going to say it's interesting, but this it kind of it tries to cram in at once being this document of the scene but then also a kind of retrospective on what happened in seattle and it kind of loses its way i mean luckily it's only 86 minutes so it's fine but yeah and there's like i said i i like the nirvana footage is cool but yeah i'm watching i was thinking the same thing like god why could they have been here in like 1990 with this footage and then we could have seen some of these bands that end up being like the bands that they end up talking about we could actually see them when they were it's you know, playing clubs and stuff. It's hilarious at the end where you have some of the 
the people talking about the past the same way like people talk about the dust bowl i'm like this was three years ago like they- <laughs> But that's but that's how it is with music, right? And, and music scenes they they get old very very quickly, and and one of those scenes is mentioned in here, the Athens music scene, and yeah. and I thought that that was one of the best interviews in here, or at least best moments, is that guy's analogy that the record companies are like Baby Huey, and they just like waddle around with their fat asses and plop themselves down in a city, and maybe pick up two bands but crush four others. And, mm-hmm. and that seems to be exactly what happens in, in Seattle, what happened in Athens. If we think a little bit later, like that, the sort of New York garage rock scene, like that, that only lasted like three or four years too. And most of those yeah. bands flamed out spectacularly. Like it's just kind of the way music is. So you could do a documentary like this a couple of years after it's over. And it feels like ancient history because the culture moves, especially in rock music. Well, probably all music, I guess, right? Moves very yeah. quickly. I think in all music, yeah, yeah, and I think that's one one of the things I really enjoyed or thinking about this um, is uh, early on you have some of the like local bands and producers sort of talking about how it was a very like DIY culture of um, you know they're like well you know you can get some tapes and you can record yourself and create demo tapes and I think that's one of the really cool things that's happened in music in the last oh, I mean even going even maybe starting around then is with like you know portable media and how easy it is to record it allows artists to like or musicians to like you know you don't have to have a ton of money to have your stuff heard and passed around like you would have 10 years before this that's one thing that i thought was actually kind of odd in this movie is they had an interview with someone talking about how it's like yeah man anyone can do it you just need you know magnetic tape and whatever blah 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 and i'm like you still need to rent studio time. This is still the era where even a bad studio, like you can't make this at home. Like to make a yep. dem- to make a demo tape, you at least need some degree of equipment and it's usually pretty expensive. But you can have something that you could give someone to listen to to get to that de- to get to that studio point, which you which 10 years earlier I think is a lot harder. And it seemed and I think that that's to reference something you uh, Duff said a little bit earlier, like the value of these interviews with uh, sort of men and women from bands that, that didn't quite make it or maybe didn't even get close to making it, that it seemed to have a very small town feel where they all seem to have played with one another at some point. Oh, or yeah. knew each other or were friends. So, like, the, the story of how Cobain got that st- studio time, wasn't it? He just called and said, I'm friends with the Melvins. And they're right. like, okay, come on in. And, and uh, that's kind of neat. And that's yeah. probably something that could never happen in like New York or LA. Yeah. Yeah. It is sort of, it is. And I just think like, just like moving forward now into like, you know, 2020, that's one of the things I think is interesting is how easy it is um, to have your music created and heard. Or now, at least... now you just need, you know, GarageBand or Pro Tools or something. Yeah, like I mean, I know, I know, uh, you guys might not be a big fan of it, but like the whole story behind Old Town Road to me is just, is just a fascinating thing about like some nineteen-year-old kid finds like a YouTube recording clip that some like you know some beat that some Dutch dude created and, and a Nine Inch Nails song, isn't it? Yeah, Thirty Four sort of, Ghosts. Yeah. yeah, and and you know, then this guy just takes that and records himself rapping over. I mean, it I'm pretty. Like, I'm pretty mad on the song itself. It's kind of a novelty song to me, but oh, I, for sure. I but I love the 
you know, I love that it's just, you know, just randomly kind of struck a chord with culture and, you know, went to number one on the country and mainstream charts just on a fluke. Yeah, so I he think bought, that's cool. He bought that sample for $30. Yeah. <laughs> and then records that Old Town Road that day. I don't know. I just find that, like, and that's what this kind of touches on a little bit, too, is, you know, it, it does speed up how quickly you can um, you can go from, you know, recording something to, like, being able to actually sit around and, and, and you know, even then to get studio times a lot cheaper than I think it would have been 10, 15 years ago or before prior to this. So I one thing I got from this movie, and I, it sounds like I'm being like dismissive or mean to it, but one thing that really became apparent watching this is just how music trends in general and these types of rock movements are just a bunch of goofs and a couple randomly get lucky, and that's all it is. And Do you think just, they're lucky or good? Like I, I well, it's usually. Know. I mean, it's usually a combination. But I mean, Joe kind of hit at it before. Like, you know, to be famous, you don't need to be good to be famous. It helps. But sometimes it's you know the studio swoops in. Sometimes it's random luck, like Old Town Road. But I mean, there's like if you go back in history, there's all these stories, or like these bands who are kind of punchlines now. You know, there's. Uh, there's so many bands where for like six minutes or so they were going to be the next Beatles and then they flame out or there are all these bands where people think they're going to be huge and they flame out and then some go the distance and I don't I don't think there's any real rhyme or reason I think it's the right place at the right time and just a combination of luck talent and in some cases business savvy but you know you can't I mean, there's think of how there's so many instances of record companies just biting it when they try to force something, and then I, there's so many instances where stuff just blows up accidentally. Yeah, um, I think there's it's a lot like young athletes. I guess is there's there's lots of athletes that might have the physical tools and there's some such a and you mentioned basically all the qualities that you need in order to make make it big but on a case-by-case basis it's still difficult to measure like why exactly it happens and i think with bands it's even more difficult because it's a collective and when you add a group the group dynamic to it like talent and being hardworking and all that stuff isn't enough because you also have to be able to like spend months at a time with these people yeah and that's very difficult thing to do and i mean even with some of the bands in this like pearl jam as that incarn as the incarnation pearl jam had really only been around for what a year or two not even that not even and yeah and their first album like album period right they didn't have a they their, their first album sells 10 million copies meanwhile like you know we're saying like uh, Mud Honey is out there plugging along for like 10, 15 years. Soundgarden too had been around for quite a long. Yeah, long time. so it's just it's just a crapshoot, and a lot of it depend. A lot of it is it's un. You, you can't plan for it. You can't explain it. I mean, you can and you can't. I'm not. It's kind of like the nurture nature thing. Like you don't know how much of it is talent and ambition, and you don't know how much of if you know six months later six months earlier maybe nirvana flops and they never become big oh timing is huge for and, sure and with pearl jam it's not like 
like the bulk of that band was in Mother Love Bone. Yeah. And they so they had they're already in another band that seemed like it was right on the cusp of breaking out. So they they had had that experience, I guess, most of them. But yeah, Eddie that I don't know if it was his first band, but I mean the the yeah. guy who became the face of the band was pretty new to it. Yeah, yeah. and it, he'd been living in like didn't he didn't they record that album like a month after he after they got together? Yeah, something I like think that. they did some of it. Like he wrote some of it over the the songs they had, and then he came in, and then he like came in for an audition or something, and then he wrote some more of the songs. Yeah. Like it all happened very quickly. And um, I I also think that a lot of this, I, I mean, this is an original thought by far, but so much of it was a rejection of that bloated corporate rock of the the late 80s for sure i mean with the exception of you know uh like thrash music and uh guns and roses like it was all like glam metal and hair bands were like the big rock bands of the very late 80s and that's really funny and rob reminded me of the really good uh alternative nation articles yes uh, by stephen hyden and it's really (laughs) I mean, maybe I'm just looking for an excuse to talk about them, but it's really interesting to parallel uh, Guns N' Roses, who kind of unfairly at this point, like, they're always kind of treated like they were over the top and bombastic. But, like, even just, like, four years ago, like, Guns N' Roses were the Nirvana of 1987 or 88. And then they just flamed out spectacularly, but, like, in excess along the way. And they it, it, they felt threatening when they came out. Oh, I you mean, know, like they were yeah. they were considered threatening, and and I it's so. And everyone talks about how they were such a breath of fresh air, and they were like scary and frightening, but also like a party band. And just to kind of bring it back to how things change, like four or five years later, they're doing "Use Your Illusion" with like November Rain and these huge ballads and things like that. And, you, and th- you think about what the late '80s did to Van. H- Sorry, Rob. Like what they did to like how Van Halen evolved over that decade yeah. from something that was super fun, backyard parties and stuff, and like by the turn of that next decade, they're made. Like yeah. I don't, I don't remember exactly when Van Hagar's first album was. It '86. It was like mid to like they had a mid to late '80s renaissance with Hagar, and with Van Halen and Guns N' Roses, like. It's it goes from that DIY ethos to just bloated, overproduced, kind of corporate, watered down rock, and that's what this scene was rebelling against. Which is in what this scene turns into four years later. Yeah, so it's I mean, back it's, to Joe's point of how the stuff just it churned so fast. Yeah, it's all cyclical. I mean, obviously, Nirvana and Guns N' Roses famously were. You know, there was that's a pretty big feud at the time too. That was almost. It sounds weird to say generational because there's, you know, yeah, like they four years that, between their yeah. their premier yeah. albums. But it was. Yeah, and there's even like that that manufactured like rivalry between Nirvana and Pearl Jam too, and and like so much of it, it's hard looking back. And I'm sure somebody has written something that gives an honest account of it. But there's just lots of media driven like rivalries too because. And it seems like you get a little bit of this from this documentary and also from interviews with the bands. They talk about like, well, actually, we actually all kind of got along. And like, I think like Soundgarden talks about how they got along with Pearl Jam and bands from other cities thought that was so weird because 
they viewed the bands as like their competition and as rivals and Soundgarden and Pearl Jam were like, oh, we're cool. And, and to yeah. make another connection, Duff McKagan, who was in Guns N' Roses in 1980, was in the band Fastbacks, which we see in this hype documentary as a band in the Seattle scene. And he was also in Farts with a Z. <laughs> yeah, he was in a band called The Farts. <laughs> But I mean, like, to go back to what we're saying, like, even though it's at the time it seemed like this was like a real, you know, Nirvana versus Guns N' Roses, weird. like, there's even like, not only is it close together, but like, I mean, there's even like, you go back to in hype when the guy's on his little computer drawing all the connections. There's a Guns N' Roses connection to all this. Yeah, I like um, I like how that guy had his like 1995. Uh, I don't even know what like Mac two. Yeah, using. Yeah. Use, <laughs> Love Us- that. <laughs> using software to graphically map out all these band connections. Yeah, when I saw that, I was like, I'm sure Rob's geeking out at this. <laughs> I, was, I was like, can I see this online? Someone make this online? I, I wonder if he ever it. put it. He might have put it online. Yeah. yeah. I um, mean, the raw code for that is probably like a couple of kilobytes. <laughs> uh, so re- the, other, um, the other character, I guess, or the other important entity inside this documentary is the label Sub Pop, which... Yeah. A lot of, you know, a lot of, they were, you know, the label in Seattle at the time. Still pretty and big. Yeah. Still pretty big. Uh, yeah, I was going to bring that up. They, they have, uh, I mean, just not only be, that. Just to be still around is a victory in itself. But for Yeah, I was going to say, like, uh, I know we were going to talk about, like, is the stock at all a hit job at all in Sub Pop? And it's weird how, like, it sure of frame, all the things we see here, outside of Pearl Jam, it's the only thing still alive. It sure is framed that way to me. Because they, and to be fair, I don't know much about Sub Pop beyond they were a big label. I know the artists who are on them. Uh, they do not come off well in this documentary. But again, there there could be an agenda. I don't know. So I was curious if anyone knew about the politics of Sub Pop and whether they're, you know, the way they make them come off is kind of just exploitative douchebags, which yeah. Which, I, I, which it, I'm taking with a big grain of salt because I don't know that much. I mean, it's it's tough because, like, you know, part of the reason, like, part of the reason these bands end up becoming known is because Sub Pop was there. And I actually thought it was interesting. And to kind of go back to Joe's earlier point about like why isn't Mud Honey makes it big and Nirvana does, I think there's a point here where I I guess it's you know selling out but i think it's an important point where like you know they were talking about like someone at sub pop saying like you know here's sort of the rules on on what the songs need to be and and essentially are like the rules of pop songs right and and how they sort of need to exist in order to gotta have a single and and i don't know i mean like it might not be true you know but like to me that's why nirvana is big because you know there's a reason that you can take a song like smells like teen spirit and it can be uh, redone to be in uh, trailers or can be redone to be in Moulin Rouge because ultimately it's a pop song. The thing that I thought was a little weird that they didn't mention is that uh, Nirvana, after Bleach, they weren't on Sub Pop. Yeah. No, they weren't. They, 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 they make it seem as if Sub Pop did Nevermind and... It was. They did. That's true because they kept saying like, they were. They was, were saying how it was selling, but it was David Geffen. I mean, it was a. There was a yeah. bidding war, I believe, or maybe it was. But I mean, it was. It was but a big label, I, and I, so it's. It's weird that they kind of imply that Sub Pop made a bunch of money off Nevermind. 
I think that I think what they might have meant is that they made a bunch of money off of Nirvana because yeah. I'm they, sure after they sold that the they contract. sold so many copies of Bleach. Yeah. yeah that Bleach is still Sub Pop's best selling record. Yeah. Um which is I mean, partly you know, now they do like the Shins and Father John Misty and Beach House and Fleet Foxes. I mean, it's still like a, a an important label. Also, fun fact I was about it. Do you know the woman in the documentary who was the she was like she was the one who when New York Times called made up a bunch of terms. Yeah. For like, yeah. She's the CEO of Sub Pop now. Oh, oh nice. Cool. So that that was pretty cool. The two and around the time this doc comes out, the two um co-founders of Sub Pop essentially had a falling falling out. Um you know, tales old as time. One person wanted to become more popular, and one didn't. And then uh, they end up selling forty nine percent of themselves to Warner Brothers. I think yeah. Warner Brothers has a forty nine percent stake in Sub Pop, which is probably reason it suck around. Yeah, that's well. I don't know because how many like independent labels were bought out by the big boys and were destroyed from it. You know, that's true. I, I uh, this is what's going to happen with us when Spotify tries to buy us. Yeah, is uh, we're gonna split apart over. It's gonna not be some to sell out. some weird boutique label. <laughs> we're just old enough where we care about selling out still, so one of us will get mad about it. <laughs> if we were ten yes. years younger, we'd just be like, "Where do I sign?" So that's yeah. a that's a that's a question. I, I know we have this on here to talk about like selling out is a big is a big theme of this, right? Like, um, you know, these the and, and it, I don't know. I have thoughts on selling out, but as you're saying, Joe we're like the oldest you can be and still care about it. And cause I still remembered like that mindset and, and, and the, uh, I actually thought that the documentary, I, I didn't think it was really very, the tone of it was very resentful at all to the bands that hit it big. I didn't I think so. I, I thought that they interview some people like that idiot fan. That's like, well, I shouldn't say he's an idiot fan. He's probably like 17 years old. The dude with the news, the nose plugs. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's, <laughs> he's like 16 years old. And like, I, I probably said stuff like that when I was 16 too. But like this, this era from grunge to that punk revival that follows it. Yes. Like it, it is an intensely like, like credibility and not selling out. I, I recall people caring about that intensely. And, and the backlash against Green Day was like so visceral. And at least like amongst my, I don't know. I don't know that my friends cared a lot about that, but like you certainly were exposed to people saying it and writing that kind of thing, I, and it seems so it was, weird it was now huge, looking back on it. It was a huge thing at the time, and mainly it was because, uh, again, kind of corporate bloated music, not just rock but pop in general. I mean, you know, we talked about uh, Madonna and Michael Jackson doing Pepsi ads, and it was things like that. I think that there was just uh, a lot of knee-jerk reaction maybe to you know it shouldn't be commercialized at all and should be purely for fun and I mean there's merits there's merits to that but yeah. it 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 wound up just being a huge it's it's a pre-internet flame war is what it was it was just a thing to argue about that didn't really matter it's it's interesting you say that because um, Joe to your point I my first like concert I ever went to was a Warp tour and Blink One Eighty Two had joined in that di- on that like on that tour on a couple dates and the one I went to was one that they were and this is right after Animal State had came out 
And, you know, about 80% of the fans were really excited to see Blink-182, and about 20% were very upset about the whole thing because they had sold out. They were very, very angry. And as you're saying, a visceral reaction to the idea. And it's it's <laughs> it's funny when you look back at some of the bands that that did that. I can I could totally understand like music fans at that time that were a little older and remembered the '80s being really suspicious of bands signing to major labels because that had ruined so many bands in the '80s and made them suck. And I also totally and actually still agree, like, well, I shouldn't say still agree, but I totally get it's super lame when a song is in a commercial. Like, it, it, it kind of makes it hard to take that song to, like, listen to it and take it seriously anymore. Uh, although that isn't as big of a problem anymore. It's because we barely ever have to watch commercials. So it, <laughs> you don't true. have to hear it over and over again, you know. But Remember when it was, like, a huge deal that... Microsoft paid an obscene amount of money to the Rolling Stones to use Start Me Up. And yes. Mm-hmm. For a Super Bowl ad? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, and it was just, number one, it was funny to even like think that anyone really cared about the Rolling Stones' credibility in like whatever year that was. Cause this 94 was, or whatever. Yeah. Probably. yeah. This, yeah. Um, but yeah, it was just such a huge deal. And now, now that wouldn't even raise an eyebrow. It's just like, yep, that's how it's done. And then the other thing is about you mentioned being internet claymore it is it is reminds me like not so much when fans do it because fans whatever it doesn't matter but like whenever other bands are like that it's sort of like it's like the the beginning like that that sort of like i'm not mad or like i'm not mad it's like well if you don't care about if you actually don't care it seems like you care <laughs> that this other band sold out like you can't you can't pretend to not care and only care about the music and then get mad when a band makes it big it's and, very, and also oh sorry go ahead Duff. i was gonna say it's very funny again commenting on how fast these movements go is to look at uh grunge where the whole thing is oh you're not supposed to care you're you're you know it's not about popularity and then fast forward just like three four years to Britpop, and you have like oasis and blur like telling <laughs> their fans like we need to be the number one song for the <laughs> uk christmas thing or whatever like yeah you know, like uh, for anyone who doesn't know, like it's this weird British thing that whoever has the number one song the Christmas week, like is it's like extra important. I don't know why they get to play some like Top of the Pops or something. Yeah, like that was the, people will probably remember it because Rage Against the Machine did it a few years ago. There's that movement to get Killing in the Name yeah. as the number one song, and it worked. So then they yeah. they were on TV or whatever for that, oh, which is kind of funny actually. But but in like nineteen, I want to say like nineteen ninety six. Like yeah, like, like that's right. Blur and Oasis was a big feud, and they were like, "Who's gonna sell the most records and be the number one?" And it's funny that in just this short amount of time that that's where mainstream rock went. That- <laughs> it probably is what kept Oasis together as long as it did, because they had some <laughs> other band to hate, and it it took some of their hate energy yeah. away, and then it, eventually it it turned between the two brothers completely. It, and- <laughs> it, it, it took them from throwing bottles at each other and to focus their hatred on someone else. So the thing I want to, we've sort of hinted to, and I think we can spend some time on, and I, I literally struggle on it. So I'm hoping you guys can help me out on this, but like, what makes it grunge? What makes, what makes a band or a song or whatever? And this is also one of those things where there's always exceptions. Yeah. I don't don't know. The biggest, the biggest thing I think is that it's, 
Um, it's minimalist. It's usually like drums, guitar, bass, maybe two guitars, but usually one. It's I saw someone say that grunge is a mixture of punk and hard rock. Yeah. Which makes sense. So it's I think more than anything, it's just kind of it's minimalist uh lyrically it's often a lot of nonsense <laughs> so this is this is where i struggle in this because okay so let's let's take that let's take your definition because i've heard that a lot too is there a band that was not in the seattle area that's considered grunge and no one disagrees with it and i i feel like that ends up being what determines if it's grunge or not is if it came out of this like this like a few year era in the Pacific Northwest and out of that area. So I don't know if I have a good answer. The closest one I think is Smashing Pumpkins, or maybe Sonic Youth. But Sonic Youth like predates this yeah. by quite a while. You know, by like five. I'm, I'm just saying like those are my closest answers. Though, yeah. Like... It it's because here's here's where I struggle with it, and and you know because Joe kind of hinted he doesn't think Smashing Pumpkins is a grunge band, and I've. I've seen them classified not as that as well. Part of that but might just I, be because of me listening to everything they made since Ellen got live. Hold on. <laughs> I've not listened to everything they made. Are, me being aware of are, everything they've made since Melancholy. Are you a Closet Zwan fan? <laughs> uh, hey, I, that Zwan album's pretty good. I remember liking that album when it came out. Yeah, I don't know good. how well it holds up, though. But it's good. I forgot. Listen, to... I'll also defend Machina. Oh my god! <laughs> we, I, I would say my answer, real quick, to, to just jump in is uh, maybe L Seven is the closest I would think. Okay, for bands that weren't from Seattle, from Seattle, but I, I don't know. I don't really have strong feelings about that. So, like a lot of people lump in Stone Temple Pilots, but I think they were way. I think they were pretty markedly different from these bands. Maybe that's, maybe that's, uh, the first their first album might be. That's interesting because I think that the first Stone Temple Pilot album was that core plus yeah uh core plus was a song wasn't it um but core i thought that core was very much a grunge album and they yeah. were and they were always accused of being a pearl jam ripoff so that's kind of my argument for and them being i i think if they if they that's maybe another case like the pumpkins for me where i'm thinking of all the albums that came out after it where i think that they their sound got more interesting and sophisticated but because so, well, I don't know if sophisticated is the right word, but they, they I, started exploring their other influences more. I find it, I find it like what I do find fascinating is I, whenever this happens, and this seems to happen a lot, and it's sort of mentioned here in like the, you know, the 60s in, in England, and, and you have like San Francisco in the 60s as well. And, and Joe, you mentioned Athens, and even Duff Minneapolis has this for a yeah. little bit too. In the, yeah, the, the got Huskerdu and the replacements and uh, Soul Asylum, which was yeah. a, a punk band in its first days. Um, but I find that really interesting and, and cool whenever, like, all these bands come out of, like, one small area. But, like, what I can't get over is, to, in my in my mind, like, when I hear Pearl Jam and I hear Soundgarden and I hear Nirvana, Nirvana sounds like grunge to me. The other two bands just sound like hard rock. Especially Soundgarden to me. I, I don't I don't really... Soundgarden I don't hear seems... the fuzz at all. I don't hear the, the punk. I don't Soundgarden, the punk. even in their, like, bad motor finger or whatever that album is they sound way more like heavy metal to me and, and like they're I, I think like uh their guitarist said like what he wanted to do was uh make sound like black sabbath but get rid of all the lame parts or something i thought i thought i heard him sum up like what he what he wanted to do in a band and i actually so, think that's a really good that actually sums up 
I, of, I like Black Sabbath, but <laughs> of all the bands we see in this movie, I think Soundgarden is the most talented. I agree. Uh, uh, talented. Chris, Chris Cornell musically, like the, yeah. Sure. Chris Cornell easily has the best voice of any of these Jokers. Yeah. And they also probably the best guitarist with what's his name, the wizard looking dude, Kim Thiel. Yeah. Yeah, I I think so too. Um, I think Pearl Jam's guitar. I think uh, Pearl Jam musically is pretty close. Yeah. Is that who's their guitar? Uh, Stone Gossard, the guitarist. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um. So this is. So this is all a good lead. McCready's their lead, right? I can't remember. I, shoot, I think we McCready's sound like such dummies not doing our oh. homework here. And I like Pearl Jam, but I just don't. I think McCready is their lead guitarist. So this leads me to a, a, a list and a game I want to play called Is It Grunge? Okay, so uh, when you ask this, because my definition of grunge is is different than what... Uh, okay, just go, so this just, is our own. Yeah, okay. just Is It Grunge? We've all, I think we're just going to call Smashing Pumpkins a draw. I'm not even sure. Um, so keep in mind, keep in mind when I bring these up, doesn't necessarily mean they're good i'm just gotcha. saying are they grunge? <laughs> i have an answer but i'm gonna i mean i'm thinking Duff is gonna say it too so um so my first one uh and also try to think of like the first half of the 90s and not what came later <laughs> offspring punk no no not even no. close uh, i don't know i, I well, thought like, give me your take i i, I enjoy I, having these arguments I, i'm not sure myself but i was thinking about smash uh, which that album is awesome. I think there's, I think, I think it's closer to punk, but I think there's a little grunge in there. Hmm. Um, See, to me, to me, like when I hear like Nirvana, to me is the, is the ultimate grunge, where you sort of like where I where like that definition of like you can see the classic rock connection with fuzz, mm-hmm. right? You can sort of see like that punk like distortion into it. That's my definition. It's it's like the punk attitude, but uh, you're not afraid of killer riffs. Yeah. Okay. Which is probably why I like it a lot because those are like the two things I like the most. Sure. Uh, Liz Fair. Uh, I'm gonna say yes. We're talking ex- exile and Guyville. Liz Fair. I'm gonna say yes. Hmm. I'm I'm leaning towards yes. Actually, I I could be persuaded either way. Uh, it's not quite way. heavy enough, but like attitude wise, definitely, I think. Yeah. All right. Now now we're getting into some stuff again. I- ignore quality. Uh, live or (laughs) (laughs) or now here's something I actually thought about today is it live or live is there a I think it's live okay I don't know I would I I don't know that's what they're always called on the radio I would assume that okay I couldn't um funny story um I saw (laughs) I saw live in concert oh my god for some reason but I will say uh, the coolest merch I ever got at a show, and I still have this. I have a live yo-yo. <laughs> Why did <Wow>. you? <laughs> wow. I mean, I will say one thing about live, and like we forget about this. And the only reason I remember this is because they had an eight-minute ballad that said "Placenta" in it. That was a huge. <laughs> hit. It was a huge. Hit. That album, it's like, is it part of it is because I read, um, I read, uh, whatever happened to Eternal Nation again today. Uh, that like that live album was a throwing copper was it was a huge massive hit. yeah it it's I think in terms of like the level of like cultural or commercial impact to uh level of awareness today like theirs has probably dropped the most 
because they're just completely yeah, forgotten now. Because everyone's embarrassed to say they bought that album. <laughs> Rightfully so. Like, this is this is this is like a little thing. So I'm looking at 1995. Uh, this is Billboard's top 200 albums. So I'm assuming this is by sales. Um, there's no number one on here, which is very strange. Uh, okay, whatever. Uh, Garth Brooks, the hits. You guys know I'm a stand for that. Boys to Men two. <laughs> Hell freezes over by the Eagles. Uh, Crazy, sexy, cool TLC. Um, Vitology, Pearl Jam, Dookie, Green Day. Then throwing Cobber live. Then the Lion King soundtrack. Live was a huge band for a, a brief period. <laughs> Just oh, massive. Uh, so I'm gonna say no, but it's yeah. I'm gonna say no. But, there, I would say that's like the post grunge where like they've taken they've taken the like the, they've taken the machinery that's created grunge and but it's now it's sort of lost any any of that edge all right uh rob your boys bush are they grunge god i, it, I my my th- first answer is no because they are they are not cool in any way <laughs> or even on the edge but I think like I think that they first are, album is they're just terrible grunge. <laughs> they're just I think they might be in the most like cynical way possible. They are. I mean, yeah, it's kind of the same way like Leonard Skinner can still call itself Leonard Skinner, even though it's like <laughs> one dude who was originally in the band and like the guy that was other. afraid to fly. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. So I, I feel like it's that way. So I'm I'm gonna go yes. Congrats, yeah, congratulations, I, Bush. I still like Sixteen Stone. I mean, it's fun. At me. It's fun in a dumb kind of way. Yeah, which which I think is kind of fun when they were saying that in the in hype. They're like, I mean, our music's not stupid; it's dumb. Yeah, I mean, it's <laughs> that's awesome. Like that's what rock and rolls. Like I don't know, I I, so, I love like bands that are smart. I guess too, but like, I I just miss, uh, I I miss that sometimes, that lack of pretension. All right, and my last one, uh, my question, uh, collective soul. <laughs> remember these dudes oh yeah uh, i was never really into them um i'm trying to think of the song i would know heaven most. let your light shine down. oh my god that's that like so i watched i watched yes god yes recently and that whoa 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 go out what do you watch i watched yes god yes on netflix oh, i thought you said you watched uh god's not dead or something no yes god yes and uh that song has a very important scene in the movie and i was like man i have not heard this song in a minute and it is a banger hmm. i don't know if it's a banger but it's catchy like i know i said no it gets stuck in my head uh probably say no all right here's the one that i i forgot that i thought of in the since we initially asked this question in terms of like bands not from Seattle but like have the grunge sound I think probably the one closest for me I said L7 before but I think I'm going to change it and again has the sound not saying they're good necessarily mm-hmm. Silverchair yeah mm. I actually thought of that's a good answer I kind of feel like they are they're pretty pretty crunchy and, pretty... and they were ripped they were ripped on for the same reasons Bush was but I think they're 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 more there are hits I like. I prefer to Bush's hits. Listen, I, I can never say good things about Silverchair, because <laughs> their vocalist, their vocalist Daniel John, dated Natalie Brulia for a long time, 
you're, you're torn. <laughs> and, you're torn and, about um, it. I'm not okay with that. Okay, because uh, she's she's my I, I've always I've always had a big thing for Natalie and Brulio. Is she your so, is she your hall pass? I mean, she's she yeah she's Natalie Brulio in the torn music video is 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 goat material for me. Uh, okay, and so I've I've never I you know I I because of that and because I got into this whole like genre of music late I won't even put silver chair on. Wow, I'm I'm impressed by the spite. You know she uh she just came out with a disco album. No, I did not know yeah. that. I've kind of, I've have not paid attention to her in a go, while. Go look that up. I literally like two weeks ago from when we recorded this. Mm-hmm. Uh. All right. Well, that was, a, that was a good exercise. Thank you for clearing things up. Another thing that Silverchair has is not so much... Uh, so uh, the, my favorite part of this, maybe my favorite part of the documentary, other than the cool live footage, is how, how all the band names that are referenced over the course of it. And there, yeah. uh, there are so many funny ones. Like I, I tried keeping up and writing them down, and then there's this one scene where they just start rattling off names. I, I gave I, up. After. I was <laughs> laughing so hard. They're so funny. And Silverchair also has an album title that I think could very much be a grunge band name, Frog Stomp. Mm-hmm. That was, I think, their big, <laughs> their big album. And really, like the whole key to getting a grunge band name is you just, uh, just create an oxymoron, and that's your band name. Yeah, uh, I, I too, at one point, I'm like, oh, I should be writing these down. I'm like, oh, this is a lot of work. There's probably over 100 bands mentioned. But on the, if you go to the website for Hype, uh, they kind of overviewed the big ones. And even of those, uh, some of my favorites, uh, Coffin Break, mm-hmm. <laughs> cr- Cracker Bash. <laughs> uh, we talked about farts. Uh, uh I think this is my favorite gas huffer. <laughs> gas huffer. I was hoping you'd mention gas huffer. Uh, yeah. Hammerbox. Uh, seven year bitch. That's a great one. <laughs> Don't forget some velvet sidewalk, which had your favorite song. Oh, uh, the cat and mouse song is something else. <laughs> Grunt truck. <laughs> Grunt truck. Super suckers. <laughs> Zip gun. So yeah, there's uh, l- there's literally dozens more in this in this movie that are as are as good or not better but uh yeah those are some of my favorites so so the question joe is what is our, the band of, of we we are like so we each individually have our own grunge band and we i can name i it. had so much trouble like thinking of one that was actually funnier than the real ones so i don't even like wh- maybe we could just collaborate on this like let's let's just start a grunge trio here okay all right what should we name our band so what you need is you need two nouns <laughs> okay each one needs to be one syllable. Hmm. So I, as you were talking, I've been putting this through a random word generator. <laughs> uh, I'm going to throw out some that I've gotten so far. Okay. What about if we called our band Tongue Law? Let's put it up on the board to be considered. Okay. I'm going to write these um, down so I don't forget them. Uh, here's another one. Hair Cheek. Like Hair that. Cheek. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No. Um. Uh, cell breath. <laughs> cell breath. Yeah, like cell, as in like you cell know, body. You have cells. Okay. Here's one for you. One more. Wife depth. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's it. Wife depth. That's the old James Cameron name. I I like wife depth. <laughs> wife depth. Yeah, I can't. That's it. That's our band name. Wife depth. 
is it one word or is it two words? Oh, uh, boy. That's or hyphenated. I think hyphenated is probably. Yeah. What were you so, doing last night? I was wife depth last night, guys. I'm wife. It's like d- dirty, but like you could say it in polite company. And yeah. it's only dirty if you think about it a little bit. What if What if it was wife deep? <laughs> that's that's too obvious. Hmm. My parent, my mom loved the commish. <laughs> awesome. And, uh, he had a teenage son in the commish. And I remember there was an episode where um, it was like his Christmas was coming up and uh, the commish had was dragging home some um, like test dummies from the police station. And his wife was like, what? Why do you have that? And he's like, well that's what he asked for 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 christmas he wanted some crash test dummies and uh, and <laughs> i like where this like, is going she was like no that's the name of a band and he was like oh i wondered why he wanted smashing smashed pumpkins there's some commish humor for you guys that's, that's some boomer humor nice. right there <laughs> but i always think of that now when either of those bands come up crash test dummies by the way, is that a grunge band? No. Okay. <laughs> do you remember? Do you remember the rumor that that dude had a third testicle? <laughs> I don't remember. Oh yeah, that's how you could get so low. Uh, that's in, in the days. God, the, that's so funny. In the days. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> how else could you do it? Yeah. Well, and I love that in like the days before the internet, that was just like you hear he has third testicle, and it's like no, he doesn't. How else do you think he sings so low? And you're like, oh yeah. Like you were in a '90s kid, unless there was uh, your favorite band had a rumor about an extra body part or having one removed. Yeah, yes. Marilyn Manson having a rib removed so he could fillet himself. (laughs) Yep, yep, yep. That one, that one, that one hit Spooner too. Also, that he was Paul from the Wonder Years. (laughs) (laughs) I remember that. I remember that. that. (laughs) (laughs) There was no way of finding out back then. Nope. No uh, and obviously, I think I've mentioned this before, but I think one reason uh, Dookie was so big in Green Day and, and Spooner is because um, allegedly Billy Joe Armstrong, uh, lead singer of Green Day, had golfed at our uh, golf course God. one time. That's <laughs> cool. a, that's that's so sad. <laughs> like that that that's like mm-hmm. that's like the like when's like in the old days where like some dude met the president and shook his hand and he talks about it for 50 years like it's there not- is a a uh there's a bar in spooner called the buckhorn and in the buckhorn uh when you go into the men's bathroom above the urinal it talks about the time it is a sign about how jfk uh peed in that urinal i mean so at least that's, that's- the other famous thing i hope it was disinfected after yeah <laughs> <laughs> So we should talk about what we're talking about next week, guys, because I haven't seen either of these movies, and, and I've only known them by reputation. I've always been, well, actually only one of them. Heavy Metal Parking Lot is one of them. Duff, you wanted to talk about this. I've always wanted to watch it, and for some reason haven't. What are yeah. we? Yeah, tell us about it. So I haven't seen it. I, I've seen clips of it, um, and I didn't know about, it's not a sequel, but it's by the same filmmakers. So uh, in, God, I want to say like 19, it's like early to mid-80s, uh, these filmmakers like went to uh, a Judas Priest show and just interviewed people in the parking lot who are tailgating, and hilarity ensues. Yeah, <laughs> it's only like a twenty-minute movie. Yeah. Um, so 
and that's if anyone wants to watch it it's on youtube uh what i didn't realize until just two days ago is that about i want to say like 10 to 15 years later in the mid 90s the same filmmakers made a movie called neil diamond's parking lot <laughs> which is the same premise just a very different crowd so they go to a neil diamond concert in i want to say it's atlanta i could be wrong but and i just kind of scrubbed through it but i'm very it's in the same parking lot i think oh is it okay yeah so uh just i'm very excited to watch it based on the people i've seen scrubbing through it we are going to be i guess i don't know this for sure but we might be the first people to do a judas priest neil diamond uh uh double feature uh, and then I don't think we're going to talk about it, guys, but they did create a third one, Duff, that you are not mentioning. Oh, they did? What is oh, it? Oh, yeah. What they did it? Harry Potter parking lot. Oh, my God. <laughs> so is it people, We might as well. People, people camping out for the book or for the uh, movies? I don't know. It's another 17-minute documentary. Uh, I, actually, I'm not sure. I don't know much about it. I maybe if, it, if it's true. It, hey, if it's online, I'll watch it. Sure, yeah, like, so I, I mean, I'm at least gonna watch it, and I I'm sure. Well, we can at least talk about it a little bit. So let's call next week's episode the parking lot trilogy episode. Yeah. Parking lot trilogy. Okay. All right. So we're t- we're gonna. I'm uh, gonna get so mad at those lot? Harry Potter fans. Heavy metal parking lot, Neil Diamond parking lot, and Harry Potter parking lot. <laughs> <laughs> if, well, if we can find it. So let's just talk. I, the reason I thought this would work is let's just talk about being fans. And, and even though Harry Potter is about a book slash a movie, I guess we don't know for sure which. The, did, or did you say? Is it the movie? Uh, I don't know. Okay. I mean, it's the same mentality. It's, sure. It's whether you love, and I mean, it's, you know, whether it's uh, like Marvel movies or Star Wars. I mean, you can have movies, music, books, films, whatever. All right. Well, um, listeners, we have, uh, we talked about Metallica and... Um, and Madonna before this, we have a Patreon episode with a friend of the show, Jim, talking about the doors. And you can find this at uh, patreon.com slash the Midnight Boys. And we will uh, return uh, next week with our, our hopefully our parking lot trilogy.